Like Pastor Tim said, we're continuing our series on rule your life, how to get these spiritual disciplines into our lives so that God can do the work in us that he has designed us for. Um, I have had so much fun with this series. Um, I feel like these are the things that you can start working on and then circle through over and over and just continually grow those, um, those habits. Um, today we're going to be talking about um, Bible study, but probably not in the way that you initially think of when you hear Bible study. Most of us, that sounds like, oh, you get together with your friends or you have your morning quiet time and you sit down and you, you read a passage and kind of think about it and listen to what God has to say to you through his word. And that is a form of Bible study, but in the context of this series, it kind of leans more toward meditation and we're talking about study. So if you hated study hall class, I'm sorry, bear with me. Um, but we're gonna be digging a little bit more today. Um, so we've got a lot to cover and there's lunch out there. So I will try not to keep you guys too long, even though I could talk about this for the rest of my life. So I'm just gonna pray real quick and then we're gonna dive in. Heavenly Father, uh, God, I just thank you for this church. Thank you for our leadership. Thank you for the way that they um, have led us and poured into us so that we can do things like the spiritual disciplines and learning more about you. God, I just pray that you would help me to say what you have for me to say and um, help me to just forget everything else. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, if you've been in church for a minute, you've probably done some form of Bible study before. Um... And if you haven't, now's a great time to start. Um, so the, this first little intro part might, might kind of sound like, yeah, we all know that. But why study the Bible? If I just handed the mic around, you could probably give me a lot of really good reasons to study the Bible. But I think a lot of us miss out on what the Bible has for us when we don't realize some of these reasons. So reason number one that we need to study the Bible is because Jesus did. Now this is something that I learned as an adult. Jesus studied the Bible. Now why would Jesus study the Bible? He, you know, in the beginning was the Word. He is the Bible. Like the Bible is just a literary reflection of God himself and all the things that he has to say to us. Why would Jesus study the Bible? Well, really, is because he was born into the Jewish culture. And in the Jewish culture, when you were about five, six years old, you would go to school, just like we do. You'd go to Torah school, and that was sort of their equivalent of elementary school, and there you would learn the basics of um, the Old Testament, meaning you would memorize the first five books. That's the basics. The part of that is because it was an oral culture. Not everybody had books. Um, there was no such thing as a printing press. Everything was handwritten. So it was sort of necessary that if by the time you grew up, you were expected to be able to discuss this, that you would have it here. So that when someone said, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, you would know who they were talking about and what Isaiah had said. Um, so five to 12 years old, you're studying the Torah. That's your book for, you know, language arts, math, science, social studies, 
It's got all the history that you need because it was God's story, that kind of a thing. And now you know why the book of Numbers exists. So they could learn numbers. Sort of. Not really. All right. So after age 12, you were basically considered graduated from your basic schooling. And you would have, at age 13, if you were a boy, you'd have your bar mitzvah. In more recent years, they've added um, celebrating girls at turning 12 at their bat mitzvah. Um, and the truth is, uh, <laughs> I even looked it up. The reason that they celebrate girls at 12 and boys at 13 is because girls mature faster and are considered adults at 12. I didn't know that. But so when Jesus turned 13, he probably had some sort of bar mitzvah, which literally translates to son of the commandment or son of wisdom. If you look in the complete Jewish Bible, the book of Proverbs is called mitzvah, which is the word for wisdom. So your bar mitzvah is when you have become a son of God's wisdom. So that happens when you're 13 years old, and that's sort of when you decide that you're taking responsibility for obeying God's commandments and move forward into adulthood. At that point, you have the option of attending the bit midrash. I probably said it wrong, but that was basically like Bible college. Um, that was kind of geared toward people who wanted to be involved in the synagogue and ministry, that sort of thing. And if you did really well in the Bet Midrash, you could become a Talmudim, a disciple or an apprentice. Then after years of doing that, you could become a rabbi yourself. So what was Jesus' education level? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, but we know that he studied scripture because before he even reached his bar mitzvah, we can read in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus was found in the temple discussing the Torah with the temple rabbis, which you don't get to be a temple rabbi until you've been a rabbi and then like a rabbi in a bigger synagogue and then a rabbi in a bigger synagogue and then you get summoned by the, the leaders and like it's the big shots. And before Jesus had even had his bar mitzvah. He was already demonstrating that he was a son of wisdom. He was wowing the teachers. And then, in Luke 2.52, after Jesus' parents find him and tell him, you know, come on, come home with us, um, it says that Jesus continued to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So, so that indicates that Jesus didn't say, I just schooled the big shots. I don't need to learn more. Now, we don't know if he attended the Bet Midrash or ever discipled under another rabbi or anything like that, but later in scripture, he becomes a rabbi himself, so clearly he knew the scriptures. Now, if Jesus did all of that and then waited until he was 30 to get into ministry, why do we seem to think that everything he did was just because he was God and that he got shortcuts and that he didn't ever study. He did. And he attended synagogue every week. I don't know how I went 30-some years without realizing all of that. So I figured it might be new to you guys. Jesus actually learned and grew in Scripture. Now, the second reason that we need to study Scripture is because we must. I know that's just another way of saying we need to study scripture. But if you'll turn to Psalm 19, 
or it will be up on the screen. There's a whole slew of reasons that we need to be in the Word. So I'm going to just read verses 7 through 14. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of God are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They're sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They're a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, I don't know about you, but I want those effects of scripture in my life. Like, that's a lot of really good stuff. Like, that's worth digging into all on its own just to have an understanding of what kind of an impact this book can have on our lives. Now, the problem is a lot of us, we read something like that that describes what the Bible can do for us, and then we make the same mistake as everybody else. I like how Dallas Willard says it. He says, the general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time, not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. Anybody else done that before? I know I have, but that's not what God calls us to. And the cool thing is he, he doesn't call us to something that's impossible for us. He says in Romans 12, 2, actually, I think I have a different translation up there. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, I want to be able to discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. So I need to be renewing my mind. And God wouldn't tell us to do it if he was not going to make it possible for us. And the thing is, it does take work. G.K. Chesterton said, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. And that's really true. A lot of people... Even those who claim to be Christians have simply glanced at it at face value and said, I like that gospel story, but I don't think I can do the things. So I'm just going to trust in Jesus for my salvation because that's the important part, right? But in 2 Timothy 2.15, which is kind of a key scripture for us today, it says, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Some older translations say rightly dividing the word of truth, and I kind of like that phrase. I'll explain why later. But it says work hard. It says study in the older translations. Study to show yourself. Now, another Dallas Willard quote, because he's really, really smart. He says, study isn't necessarily scholarly. It does, however, involve giving much time on a regular basis 
to meditation upon those parts of the Bible that are most meaningful for our spiritual life, together with the constant reading of the Bible as a whole. So it's work. It is. Even for the smartest people, it's, it takes some work because God's thoughts are so far above ours. But the cool thing is the third reason that we need to study the Word is because we can. You can. I don't know how many people I've talked to who've said, like, I try and read my Bible, but I just I feel like I'm not getting anything out of it. It's, it's really hard. I've heard a lot of people say, well, I'm not a good reader. You know, or I'm not really book smart, so like I try to be involved at church, but like I, I don't really study the Bible because I, I, that's just not my jam. I don't know how to study. Um, and as a homeschool mom with three very different children, who I am no longer homeschooling because they got too smart for me, um, we all have different brains, but God made them all and they all work. They are all fantastic. And just because you're not book smart or smart by some person's definition, that does not mean that you cannot study scripture. And if anyone made you feel stupid at some point in your life, I want to apologize on their behalf because we humans are really good at that. We're really good at breaking each other down. But you are smart. Like when Pastor Tim said, he, you know, he has the church with the smartest people you know, it sounds like he's, you know, kind of being facetious and bragging. He's not exaggerating. You guys are smart. You guys are genius all in your own way. And on top of that, Second Peter 1.3 says that God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Like everything we need. Salvation, the Holy Spirit, your brain. He actually, that is a gift to you. He could have given you a different one, but he gave you that one. And 1 Peter 1, 12 through 13 tells us that we're able to experience things and learn things that angels long to look and understand. And that sounds backwards because, I mean, angels, they're with God. They get to be in heaven and see him in his full glory. Don't they know more than we do? Well, no, not necessarily. They are with God, so they know they can trust God, and they do everything that he tells them to do, and they worship him, but they will never experience salvation. They know the gospel, but they can't experience the gospel from the sinner's perspective. They've never been forgiven. They've never been saved, rescued, redeemed, changed from the inside out. There are things that they wish that they could understand because they know they only have their perspective and complete faith in God. And that's awesome, but they're jealous of us. And we're procrastinating, we're phoning it in, we're letting self-doubt cripple our willingness to really dig into the word. Like, God forgive us, you know? So, we need to study scripture. He did. We must and we can. But how? Now, this is the part that is going to sound like I make a really hard left turn and I'm like not talking about the Bible anymore for a while. But I promise there's a reason for it. 
because when it comes to studying scripture, there's two things that don't need to change and two things that can and probably should change. Now, the things that don't need to change, one is the Bible. It does not need to change for you to understand it. Now, there's lots of different translations, and some people will say, you know, I find this one the easiest to understand. It doesn't matter. You're smart, and God's with you. You can understand his word. Okay, you don't need a dumbed-down version. You can use multiple translations. It's great. But there's nothing magical about using the translation that your pastor uses or using the translation that somebody said, well, this is probably the one that's on your level because that's one of those subtle ways that people make us feel stupid. Okay, you can understand his word, and it does not need to change. The other thing that doesn't need to change is your intelligence. I know it feels like I'm drilling down hard on this, but it's because I've talked to so many people in this church and out of this church who don't know how smart they are. All right? So when it comes to studying the Bible, I'm going to teach you a little thing to hijack your brain for the study of Scripture. All right? First thing you want to do is learn your intelligence type. And I made a little diagram. I recommend snapping a little picture of it with your phone because it has more information on it than we have time to cover. Um, also, I'm not going to dig super deep on these because you can Google these. I did not come up with these. If you have a teaching credential, you're like, oh, yeah, I know that. Because they try to tell you that all the kids in your classroom are going to be different. So for the intelligence types, I'm kind of going to blow through these. But if you've taken a picture of it, you can go back and refer to it. So there's the naturalist intelligence, which is a person who has a good understanding of living things in nature. You sort of intuitively tune in to the physical world around you. Then you have musical intelligence, which is those who are really good at discerning sounds, their pitch, their tone, rhythm, timbre, all those musical terms that I got off the internet because I'm not that kind of smart. Um, there's logical or mathematical intelligence which these people are really good at quantifying things and making a hypothesis and then like testing it. So it kind of sounds scientific, but ask a mathematician, they'll tell you that's the only truth, but they, the Bible is, you know. Next there's existential intelligence. And these are the people who like to think about like the outside the physical world, the spiritual questions, the what is the meaning of life, the um, you know, the deeper things, they often have sort of a philosophical kind of a mind. Next, we have spatial intelligence. These are your Tetris masters. They are really good at just visualizing things in 3D or understanding, like, the order of timelines. They, they're usually better at geometry than algebra. Um, and they are able to see how a variety of different components can fit together. So if you're moving... You want one of these people helping to load the moving truck because they will make it all fit. Next, you have your intrapersonal intelligence. Now, intrapersonal means inside person. That's understanding yourself. You're very tuned to your emotions, what you feel, what you need, the things you think and why. That's intrapersonal intelligence. Next is kinesthetic intelligence, which is coordinating your mind and your body. You need your body to do something, your brain tells your body to do it, and poof, you did it, and you're good at it. Maybe not pro, but like, you can do a thing, like play the drums where your hands and feet have to be doing different things all at the same time. That's not me, that's my husband. <laughs> um, 
Next is linguistic intelligence, which is being able to find the right words to express what you mean. These are the people that end up talking really well, or writing books, or you know, becoming either teachers or therapists because they help you find the word for things and help you understand a concept verbally. And finally, we have interpersonal intelligence. So intra is inside, inter is among. Um, so interpersonal intelligence is sensing people's feelings and motives, it's empathy. These are the people who just seem to know when someone's down, when they're not going. When, when you ask, how are you doing, and someone says, fine, and then your friend goes, no, you're not. Come on, you, you okay? Talk to me. Because they, they just know. Now, many of us, I, I would say all of us, have like a primary and secondary kind of intelligence, and then all of them we, we have some ability in. Nobody is like completely unintelligent. God put these things inside of you. These aren't spiritual gifts, but they're part of how you were made. And the cool thing is, when you know your intelligence type, you can identify what kind of things you're gonna like to do. And when you're good at something, you like to do it, and you do it again. So if you can build habits based on your intelligence type, you're more likely to stick to them. If you can get your intelligence type to learn, to line up with your values, even better. Next we have your learning style, because we're talking about studying, not just being. And so we have your learning styles, and you want to snap a picture of this one too, but you can also Google them um, and find tools based on your learning style. So you have visual learners, which you like things like this, that you can look at, and it has the information visually in front of you. You like pictures, colors, diagrams, timelines, maps, um, graphs, things like that, that help organize information in a way that you can understand it. Next, we have logical learners. They like things that are, that make sense. You know, logic and math, they find it helpful to classify information. Um, and they, they don't like things that don't make sense. So sometimes logical learners will read scripture and go, that doesn't make sense until they learn more about God and then go, oh, okay, in, in God's world, in God's economy, in God's kingdom, it does make sense. And those, that's really cool to watch when their light bulb goes, goes on, it's fun. Then we have social learners. These are people who prefer to learn in groups. They like bouncing ideas off of other people, listening to others' perspectives, and gaining insight through discussion. We have physical learners who prefer to learn while doing. Um, I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said, you know, tell me something, I'll forget. Teach me, I might remember, involve me, and I learn. Um, it's because he was probably a physical learner. Me, not so much. You try and get me to do something that I don't already know how to do, and I'm like, oh, nope. Um, how about, I'll watch you first. Um, but physical learners, they want to get in there with their hands and do it. Then you have solitary learners. They prefer to learn on their own. They're a little bit more private, introspective, and self-driven. They're good self-directed learners. They're the kid that gets ignored in the classroom because they're already done with their work because they're like, I read the instructions and then I did it. Sometimes these kids get mistaken for being the smartest kids, but they're not. 
They're smart. So are all the others. Then we have verbal learners who enjoy learning and expressing concepts, usually learning and expressing simultaneously. They have verbal processors. Whether they're writing or having a conversation, they want to interact with the content. So this might be discussion, note-taking, you know, feeling the need to share information with whoever's nearby. I have one of these in my house, and even she jokes that we spent a couple years teaching her how to talk, and now we're spending 20 years teaching her when to be quiet. <laughs> and I'm like, it's okay, I get it, I'm with you. And finally, we have the auditory learners. These are the people who prefer learning from lectures or podcasts or music. Um, they would rather have an audio Bible than a, you know, the physical Bible in front of them. version is great for you guys. Um, and they follow good verbal instructions. That is not me. But more power to you if that's you. So if you can get an idea of what your intelligence type is, so you know what kind of tools you'll enjoy and what your learning style is, which kind of tools will actually really sink into your mind, then you're on track to finding a study method that will work for you. Now, for this third thing to figure out, a little disclaimer. This one, you can figure out once, and it might change from season to season. The last time that I taught this material, I was in a different metabolic season, but your mental metabolism. This is the part where, like, a few weeks ago, uh, I, I asked him if there's anything in particular he wanted me to say or not say, and he said, no heresy. But I'm sure he'll understand why I say this. You do not need to study your Bible every day. You should read your Bible every day in one form or another, but you do not need to study your Bible every day. Because if you're studying too much, too fast, you're not going to do anything with it. You know, it's, it's like when you go to a party and you eat more than you should, and you're like, well, that was fun, but ugh. And you're useless for a while until your body muscles through digesting all of that that you didn't need. The same can happen to us spiritually. So knowing your mental metabolism can be very helpful in figuring out your portion size, so to speak. So I've, these you can't find on the internet. These I made up. Um, so you'll have to snap a picture and, and take notes or something. But so the first mental metabolic type is the bear. So you stand in the flow until you catch something. You've ever seen those videos of bears in the river? And they look really goofy until a fish just like lands in their mouth. It, it's really weird. But they know how it works. And they've got like tons of stuff rushing past them but they're just waiting for that one thing that they can catch. So for this, you would read larger portions of scripture while keeping an eye out for a smaller chunk to dig into. Now the pros of this is it's great if it takes you a little while to get into the zone. Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes my brain is like, woo, and I have to go, come back here, Ugh, you know? And it helps to like read and read and read and read and then land on something. It's also great if you're not sure what you want or need to read. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, I mean, those really help. But if you're not a plan person, um, sometimes it's, it's really enjoyable to read something unexpected and just land on something when that fish flies into your mouth. 
This is also good because you're more likely to get familiar with the context of the passage. The danger is it's possible to read while your mind wanders, and the goal isn't to check off as many chapters as you can, it's to focus in on something and, and end up actually studying a nugget, you know? So each of these types has pros and cons. So next we have the shark. If you like to hunt down what you need and like study it to death and learn everything there is to know about that person or that concept or that story, that's the shark. You pick a topic, research it, find everything in the Bible about it and study hardcore. The pros are your curiosity or question or problem motivates you and finding answers in scripture helps increase your faith in and dependence on God. The danger is that it's really easy to find only verses that say what we want to hear. You don't want to search for supporting scriptures. You want to search the scriptures and find what it says to mold your opinions and actions to what scripture tells us. Third, we have the cow. Constantly nibbling, constantly digesting, you know, lots and lots of grazing. But there's always a passage or concept kind of tumbling around in your brain. And sometimes you might have more than one concept that you're kind of mulling over or chewing on and starting to connect the dots between and things like that. Now the pros are you don't rush the process and you're more likely to glean more from a passage than you would if you moved on too quickly. But the danger is it's very easy to say, oh, I'm just in cow mode. I'm just mulling over that thing that I read last month. But it's really an excuse to not open your Bible again. Fourth, we have the squirrel. Eat a little, stash a little. Um, this is studying for memorization. So you might read a whole chapter and then there's this verse and you go, that's a really good one. I need to, I need to put that to memory, which is great. The pros are you acquire more and more pocketed knowledge of God's word that you always have access to. The danger is, since many of us believe that we can only memorize small portions of scripture, it becomes really easy to remember a verse, but not its original context. And then we end up misusing it as we lose its original frame of reference. The truth is you can memorize longer passages of, script, of scripture, you just have to put in the time to do it. Next we have the dog, Old Faithful. This is you follow a routine and you don't need much variety. For some people this works really well. You follow a reading plan, you know, the same read through the Bible in a year, every year, and it's great. The pros are you always know what you're gonna do and you're likely to do it because it's habit. You're likely to get a well-rounded spiritual diet because, like it or not, that reading plan will probably take you to passages you wouldn't default to. So you kind of get a good overarching understanding of scripture as a whole. The danger is that for some of us, monotony is killer. And if you're bored with your Bible study, it's not the Bible's fault. It might be time to get out of dog mode. I mean, it's great, if, you know, the way dogs can eat the same thing every day, same amount, same portion, same spot in the family room. Some of us aren't like that. Um, and some of us are. My husband does the same exact thing every single day. And it's, it's great to see him like every morning I know where he's going to be. Now, the last illustration is the cat, also known as spiritual irritable bowel syndrome. So this one, 
is a very sweet story based on my kitty. Well, actually, Ginny's cat. But So back in 2020, when everyone was getting pets, I took Ginny out to find an emotional support animal, and we got her a little gray kitten. She was so cute and so tiny, and just the loveliest little furball. Um, she was kitten-sized, real tiny. We also have another furry friend in our house. She's about this big. She's a black pit bull, um, and she loves everything, everyone. You have a heartbeat. You have warmth in your body. You blink, you are officially loved very deeply forever and ever. She will be your friend. Now, the trouble is that Sky, the tiny kitten, did not know that this giant beast was friendly. And so on the unplanned occasion that Ellie, our dog, got to meet Sky, um, she scared her pretty much to death because she ran up and approached her and like, hey, let's play. Oh my gosh, you're cute. Will you be my friend? And Skye's like, I'm gonna die. Because she didn't know any better. And she ran for her life and threw up everything that her tiny body had in it. Probably everything she'd consumed in her 12 weeks of life. And then she refused to eat or drink or do anything. She just was ready to shrivel up and die. She was literally scared to death. And we had to force water down her tiny little throat and like nurse her back to health. And now Skye and Ellie are best friends. But that day, she thought for sure she was done. Now, we consulted the vet and some more experienced cat people and found out this is just what cats do. They throw up. Apparently, they just do it. You feed them wrong, startle them badly enough, offend them, they're going to throw up. It's like their automatic response, just take whatever they've recently ingested and deposit it grossly somewhere that it doesn't belong. Unfortunately, some of us do this, I mean, not you guys, like other Christians, the ones on social media, where something will happen, something comes at them, definitely a bad thing, like someone was wrong on the internet or disagrees with their infallible opinion is very offensive. We can't have that. And so they promptly take whatever out-of-context, self-selected, opinion-verifying scripture they've recently ingested and dramatically and grossly deposit it in a stinky, semi-processed blech for the whole world and internet to see. Don't be a cat. I'm a cat person, but like, don't, don't be a cat. Don't feed so selectively and so repeatedly and so rapidly that you only take in the bits of truth that you agree with or can twist to affirm your opinions. Don't rush from the word so quickly that you don't have a thorough, transformative understanding of it. And don't be so easily triggered that you vomit your devotions into the laps of people who will probably lose their taste for God's word if they ever had it. Because their eternity might depend on it. You might be the only Jesus they see in their little corner of the internet. So hopefully we can be a bear or a squirrel or a cow or a dog, but not a cat or a shark. We could be a shark. <laughs> All right. So with those three things, maybe you can 
kind of see how Bible study won't look the same for all of us. So what does study look like for you? This is what most of church history and most study tools will tell you. You need a desk and you need a Bible and you need a full-size portion and you need to study like a nerd. Now, I love doing that, but that's not for everybody. You might be a kinesthetic person. You might need to be moving your body, whether in you know, general motor skills or finer motor skills, but you need to be moving for your brain to kind of get into gear. And that's a normal thing. That's why we have so many kids in school that don't do great sitting still, and they end up doing this through with class or bouncing their foot on the chair in front of them, and they're like, stop it. They just need to be moving to learn, you know? But if you can embrace that, then it can be a good thing. So say, say you're a kinesthetic genius and an auditory learner and you like a varied diet. Maybe you want your audio Bible in your headphones while you're doing a project. So your Bible study doesn't need to look like this guy. It can. That's great. If that's you, you do you. But the important thing is that we're engaging in scripture in ways that we're going to enjoy that we're going to process, and that we're going to come back to. So the, the two things that don't need to change, just for review, God's word does not need to change. Your intelligence level does not need to change. The things that can and should change is our methods. You know, if you need to sit down, stand up, move your body, read it, listen to it, discuss it, whatever. And my advice would be do something with it. So we'll get, we'll kind of, get back around to that. But don't get stuck in a rut. And the second thing that needs to change, this is the thing that needs to change. You might already have the right method, but this is what needs to change our lives. I like how John Mark Comer puts it. He says his goal is to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. It's so simple. Granted, that's a lifelong work right there, but be with Jesus, We can do that. Become like Jesus. Probably going to need this. And do what he did. I'm kind of a Dallas Willard fan, so one more Dallas Willard quote. To become like Jesus, we must believe that he knew how to live. Which is one of the reasons why I explained how he studied scripture. And he went to synagogue every day. So most of us know that we need to study the Bible. And most of us want to study the Bible, but how do you dig deep? Like, how do you really glean something new out of it? Now, like I said, you do not need to study the Bible every day. You need to figure out how much your brain can process and apply to your life or creatively get out of your brain, because that's actually the educational proof of understanding is when what you have taken in, you can also put out. That's one of the reasons why I say do something with it. But first, you have to actually dig through it. So step one, ask questions, basic questions. On the next slide. (laughs) Okay, so we start here. We ask basic questions. You read your passage and you ask yourself who, what, where, when, why, and how. We've all learned those before. 
probably a study skills class. And those are pretty basic. And if you don't have much time, even doing that can help you pull things out of a passage that you didn't immediately notice when you just read it. But when we're studying, not meditating, if you want to just meditate on something, listen to Pastor Mark's message, because it was good. But when you're studying, you want to go deeper than this. So step two is consult the context. So for context, on the next slide, you have different kinds of context, and they are all important. But I recommend digging into them in this order. The immediate context, that's the passage as a whole. You know, the, maybe the chapter surrounding your passage or the passage surrounding your key verse that you're digging into. You want to have an idea of where it is in the conversation that it was originally put in. Next, you want the general context. That's, you know, what do you know about the chapter, the book, the author, you know, the people involved, who was writing to who, or who in the story, you know, was doing the things. That's the general context. Next, you have your historical context, which might take a little more work, because you're gonna be asking things, you know, what was going on when the text was written? What was going on in that town? You know, what was going on locally, nationally, globally? If you're a nerd like me and you're like, yeah, I wanna dig into that stuff, I would recommend Holman's Bible Atlas. It, it's, it says Atlas, but it's really like Atlas slash Encyclopedia. Really good reference tool. You don't need to read it cover to cover, but if you want to, it's fun. Um, but it really does help you know what like the physical location of something was and what was going on immediately, locally, nationally, globally, who was in power by earthly standards, of course, and what was life like for the people involved? Because that actually sheds a lot of light on the things that are said and done. Next, you have the eternal context. Where is this passage on the timeline of God's story? Because that's a long context, but it's really cool when you can see things that pop up repeatedly, themes that God places throughout scripture and throughout the timeline of his work in the world. Also, where can you see God's heart in the passage? That's like one of the most important things that we can get out of scripture is what is God's heart for these kinds of situations? Because then you know what God's heart is for similar situations. And what it was life, sorry, um, how does the passage point to Jesus? because all of scripture is about Jesus in one way or another. So tying things back to Jesus is really helpful in just getting a unified view of scripture. And then, after you've gone all the way out to eternal context, you bring it back in for personal context. What can I learn about myself, God, or others from this passage? What do I need to yield to God now? What's my perspective as I'm reading this? Where am I coming from? What hang-ups do I have that maybe are going to influence the way that I read this? What about this passage do I not like? What do I feel spotlighted? What action might God be asking me to take? And then after you've kind of dug into some context, if you really want to study well, you want to do it in community. You want to do it with peers. Even if you're a solitary learner, you want to be able to call up a friend or text and be like, hey, cool verse, what do you think? 
You know, it doesn't have to be that you go to Bible college together. It can just be a conversation. Or it can be asking Pastor Tim, hey, I encountered this question and, and I couldn't figure it out. You know, can you help me out? Or any of the other pastors. He's just, he's in the front row, so I always point to him. They're all really smart. So you want to be in community with peers, with leaders, mentors, those who can check you on how you've interpreted things, maybe shine a different light, or maybe ask you clarifying questions that help you really glean from Scripture. And with those who've gone before, like make friends with dead people. They wrote some great books, and books might, might not be your favorite, but oftentimes, like if they've been alive in the last 50 years, you can usually find some other form of their work, audiobooks or podcasts about their work. There's a lot, a lot of resources out there. So get in touch with the people who learned all these things before we were even born, because that you can really get so much wisdom from those who you can't just ask a question to, but something left behind is still here. Now, when the rubber meets the road on this kind of thing, studying scripture, it's really easy for us to land on guilt trip phrases like, if it's important, you'll find a way, and if it's not, you'll find an excuse. And I mean, there's some truth to that, but the one I like better, final Dallas Warlord quote of the day, he says, our faith is built when we do the work and turn to find that God has been working with us. And sometimes I don't need a guilt trip to tell me to get in the word. I, I need to know that it's worth it. I need to know that, like not to say that I'm going to get something out of it, but that it's going to do something. And sometimes that doesn't mean that you sit down to study the Bible and have a, a breakthrough epiphany every time. But watch for God working with you. Because when you put in the work, he will work with you. And it's not always going to be a breakthrough. Sometimes there's breakthrough moments, and sometimes there's processing seasons. And he's giving you a dot here, and he's giving you a dot there, and a dot there. And as you go along, you begin to connect the dots. And it leads to breakthrough, but you got to stick with it. Because he does. He will never not stick with it. Anytime you come to his word, he's willing to work with you. So it is worth it. So my challenge to you is to think through how your brain works, what's going to work for you, and then test it out. You know, see if that's true, if God works alongside you. Maybe try it every day this week and just say, all right, God, I'm feeling discouraged or this is hard. Can you please show up for me? Because he loves you and he wants to. So I would challenge you to try one new method this week. Ask the basic questions and at least one question that you don't know the answer to. Okay, no, no Sunday school questions where it's like, the answer is Jesus. Of course it is. No, ask a question that you don't know the answer to and then go find the answer and see what happens. 
And before we go, because I talked about community, turn to the person next to you and tell them if you know your intelligence type or your learning style or your mental metabolism at this point in your life, just one of those things, if anything stuck out to you, just say, I think I might be a shark or, you know, I think I might be an auditory learner. Just tell someone around you Maybe multiple people, you might find somebody who learns like you do, and then you might be able to do the community thing and learn together, because that's a lot of fun. All right, so find somebody to talk to. I know Pastor Tim tells you guys to do these things, and you're like, oh, okay. Um, but I can do that too. And Pastor Tim will wrap us up in prayer in just a minute. All right, friends. Did you learn something today? Okay. Did it feel a little bit like you just went to school? Why did we take an entire Sunday to send you to school? Because there's only one day a week where we have a rhythm where you come and listen to us teach from the Word. And we know that uh, the church hasn't been built on people only learning the Word on Sundays. Right? The, the church has been built on you knowing the Word and then build it like community, uh, building maybe churches or uh, life groups or discipleship relationships. So it's important that you know how to study the word. So as we're sitting listening to all of this content and you're wondering, man, we just took a whole Sunday to talk about learning styles. Yes, because you are a student of the word. Amen. Amen. So can we say thank you to Kristen for teaching us how to learn from the Word today? So important. Uh, let's pray as, as we conclude this, uh, this time together. God, we are grateful for your Word. We are so thankful that you took the time to give us the Holy Scriptures. God, would you teach us to be students of the Word? God, would you remind us that it is okay to learn in all different ways and to learn the ways that you have created us to be able to learn. But more than that, would you teach us as we lean into your word that your word is life and truth. God, we want to love your word. We want to learn from your word. Change us as we study. In the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.